Welcome to Better Roads, a podcast with Randall Bach, president of Open Bible Churches. Everyone has a story to their journey, and God loves to participate in those stories. Join Randall as he explores another Better Roads adventure. Well, I welcome you to this special edition of Better Roads, and it's special because I have my good friend, Dr. Ed Stetzer, with us today. And Ed has served as a consultant with Open Bible Churches in a strategic foresight process, and as part of that, has also served as a personal leadership coach. Ed, thanks for making time to be with us today. Well, you know, I love the fact that you called it a special podcast, so I'm sort of wondering, do you say that to every podcast, or is this really special? Like it's, is it, ju- it's just whoever will accept it. They're really special. Fair so enough. fair enough. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, okay, good. so that means you, you you qualify. You know, you're yeah, well, in. We are special so, friends, and it's good to see you, that, my friend. That, that's right. Thank you. Hey, I want to. I think most people listening today will at least have heard of the name Ed Stetzer, but for those who haven't, and even those who've known of your name, I'm going to read from your official resume. I want I want to make sure they know this about you. Ed Stetzer, PhD, serves as dean of the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership at Wheaton College and as executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. He has planted, revitalized, and pastored churches, trained pastors and church planters on six continents, has earned two master's degrees and two doctorates, and has written hundreds of articles and a dozen books. He's regional director for Luzon, North America, and publishes research through Mission Group. Stetzer is a contributing editor for Christianity Today, a columnist for Outreach Magazine, and is frequently cited in, interviewed by, and writes for news outlets such as USA Today and CNN. He's the founding editor of The Gospel Project, a curriculum used by more than 1.7 million individuals each week for Bible study. His national radio show, Ed Stetzer Live, airs on Saturdays. He also serves as visiting professor of research and missiology at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School visiting research professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and is taught at many other colleges and seminaries. And Ed, there's one more line here about you serving as a teaching pastor. And if I could make an edit, I would add this to it. I would say, and because he is easily bored, Ed serves as (laughs) teaching pastor at High Point Church in Naperville, Illinois. That's fun. Well, I love the church. That's fun. But first, let me just thank my mom for sending that bio along for you to read it. And I appreciate that she really loves me. Uh, but that's a lot of words. And uh, yeah, I just love the church. So that's a that's a good thing. Mom came through, which speaking of family, do you ever get to say hi to your family? All the time, all the time. You got to remember, you know this, you know, so much of that is done by other people. I have this the titular head of a lot of those things. Let me just tell you right now, uh, in the midst of COVID-19 and lockdown, I see my family far more then any person should be in community with their own family, working from home. They're going to school at home and we're all like, she's like right next door going to school, probably here in this interview. So anyway. (laughs) All right. All right. And you know what? I think we should have them add to your resume that you are the titular head. I really think that would add a lot, you know, a lot of really up the caliber of it. Well, Hey, in 2018, you published a book, Christians in the age of outrage how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. And to all of our listeners, I want to highly recommend that you get a copy of that. I'm going to say it again. Christians in the age of outrage, how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. And you know, when I, as soon as that was available, I downloaded that in Kindle and read it right away because I thought this is so timely. I mean, how could it get much worse than it really is in 2018? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So here's the funny story. So, you know, when you write a book, um, it's, it takes a, time, a long time, right? It takes a year to write a book, and then it actually 
once you write the book, it takes a year to get it through the system. You know, you've got a, editors and all sorts of stuff and they get it at the bookstores. So it was actually in 2016 when Tyndale, you know, I decided to sign with Tyndale and I sat down with their people and I said, you know, what do you want to write on? I'm like, well, you know, they said, well, why don't you write a book on like outrage? It was 2016. Everyone's really upset. And I said to them, you know, I'm just not sure that by the time the book comes out in 2018, people are still going to be outraged. And <laughs> let me just tell you, I'm glad I listened to Tyndale because oh, boy, man. people were still outraged. It's crazy. Yeah, well, it's like prophetic, you know, in terms of here we are in 2020. And I, yeah, my I, people, I gotta, just for the record, my, my people aren't prophetic, but but I, I get what you're saying. In oh, general, I understand. So. I you, uh, I just allow me to sort of cast the mantle upon you. Yes, I received that. Okay. I received that. Actually, uh, Peter Wagner did that before he died. And so I received, you know, he was a Pentecostal by the time he died. Yes, yeah. Actually, he was kind of a neo-apostolic before he died, but that's another story from the day. So, uh, but I do work for a nonprofit organization, but I'm going to receive that prophetic word from you and I'm I'm good to go. Okay, and and because you're not prophetic, you're not saying I'm going to die soon too. So I That's correct. appreciate no, that. So, I'm not. Okay. Right. It was nothing right. like that. You know, uh, you I have too much fun. You're not people are right. saying who are what are these people talking about? <laughs> I got to tell you though, I have been frankly so dismayed in my heart at what is happening around us. Sure. You know, with hostility, hot rhetoric, name calling, uh, caustic attitudes and speech. And that's just from Christians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's crazy. I'm, I'm being partly facetious, but not totally, because uh, it's been it's been tragic to see how this has engulfed us, and so many Christians have been swept up in the atmosphere and the environment of the day. Can you talk to us about what's what's the impact been of this? How are we impacting our culture by this? Yeah, I do think we should acknowledge the very real situation that Christians have contributed to this. And, you know, I've written on that in several different places that, um, you know, even, for example, writing USA Today about QAnon and how it's, you know, conspiracy theories have become rooted in our own evangelical Christian tradition. Um, you know, here's what I would say, you know, I'm, I'm an evangelical. I'm not going around like, you know, just my job's not to just, you know, smack evangelicals. I, I am an evangelical. So, sure, you know, judgment begins in the household of God and we've got to That's clean right. up our house and we've got to address that some of these realities have taken root within us and we need to disciple some things out. That's a phrase I used on NPR's Morning Edition, which is, you know, it was fascinating to have a conversation with them. Christians need to disciple some things out and need to disciple some things in. And some of the things we need to disciple out of are some of the worst attributes that we've seen. And yet we can disciple some things in, you know, and this is something that, you know, that that you have a passion for and, you know, open Bible has a passion for. These are nothing new things, you know, to show the love for neighbor, to to be the kind of person of character, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. to, uh, to learn to understand and listen to listen to others and to be in conversation and more. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, this has been a real wake up call for the church. And I think what could be a very positive experience if we take it as such. And right now, that question, I think, is still up in the air. How will we ultimately respond to it? Uh, we're weighing in the balances, aren't we? It, 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 it causes me to have the question, you know, how did we get here? What contributes to this? And I know in your book, you talk about silos and tribalism. Could you, you could talk a little bit about how, how do we get to where we are? Yeah, I think ultimately there's multiple factors. I think, you know, and, and you could go back for decades. I think social media certainly has to be a part of that. We've created echo chambers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the, the Roman Empire um, is an interesting, interesting world. You've been to Rome? Did you ever like visit Rome? I, I have not. That's on my list. My okay, we got to go. Let's you and me, let's take an open Bible Wheaton. You know, we have this open Bible Wheaton College Graduate School we, partnership. We do. We, we do. can do a traveling course and you and I could teach it in Rome. All right. All right. But I week. love Rome. You know, Rome was the first city in the world to reach a million people. And 
depending on which horror historian you listen to, after the fall of Rome, nobody reaches a million people again until like the 1700s in London. So this is Rome is this outlier, unique city in so many ways. And one of the ways that Rome made was unique was through running water. And so it's the marvel of the world. It has it is literally running water in Rome. And, um, and, and the running water goes through these pipes and these amazing pipes. And they're, they're made of this metal that's malleable and can actually like turn around corners <laughs> yes, and all. It turns yes. out that metal was called lead. Lead. And so, uh-huh. I mean, people have actually written books, probably not this case, but the fall of Roman Empire could be, the madness could have come from the lead and the pipes. Probably not, but lead and pipes mm. is not good for you. Yet yeah. it created the marvel of the, of the modern world, running water in the heart of Rome, like for blocks and blocks. And what I would say is, I think people are now waking up that social media is a bit like lead. It's been the marvel of the of the world, and what a, what a I mean, how many people scroll you know scroll through things every day just to see what's going on with their friends, and it has created a toxified culture. It's divided people. People are you know radicalized in Facebook groups and more. And now, of course, you know now now these when they begin to start limiting limiting access to people mm-hmm, who are. Mm-hmm who are maybe fringe conspiracy theories, we kind of like, oh, that's good. But then they're like, hey, wait a second. You're also uh-huh. limiting access to some Christians who hold some three right. orthodox views. So yes. I think we've got to look at that social media has been a huge, we have a whole chapter on social media in Christians in the Age of Outrage. It's not the topic of the book, but a whole chapter on it. But because you could go back and just see the toxicity, you know, evangelicals are always against something. There's always fear that drives us, you know, in the, in the, you know, and, and again, that doesn't mean that they're not concerns around some of these issues, but you know, the fifties, it was communism and in the seventies, it was, I don't know, hippies. And then in the eighties and maybe it was homosexuality. And then in the nineties, it was whatever. And, or Islam, you know, that kind of, and what I would say is, is fear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think through. And there are in each of these situations, things that Christians need to think carefully, biblically and respond in God honoring ways. But I think being driven by fear for decades has shaped us. Social media has accelerated that. And I think here we find ourselves sometimes part of the problem. You know, and I got to tell you how many calls I got. I mean, with people saying, Ed, those people prayed, you know, and they breached the Capitol. And those people had a prayer. It sounds just like a prayer in my church. And 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 it did. Now, don't misunderstand. Not, not I mean, gosh, in wonderful churches that are across open Bible. You know, we, we've engaged with some. got several of your pastors and leaders in our, our grad program. Um but the reality is, is that we we all sort of know, and most people listen to this podcast are pastors and leaders in Open Bible and some beyond. But we know that we see some of these things and we're concerned about them in our in our churches, and That's we can right. address them right. with godly, winsome, and uh, and just just some wisdom walking through together. Powerful analogy, lead in the pipes, compared to social media. I love that. You know, you talk about fear. You mentioned uh, a siege mentality, Ed. Um, Describe a little more a siege mentality for us. Well, I mean, I think evangelical Christians. Here, here's the thing. I mean, with the, um, you know, I don't, I don't. We didn't like talk about ground rules before this conversation. So you can edit this out when I'm going to name names. But you know, with the election of the Biden administration, I think we're going to see significant challenges. You know, your college sure is are. going to have challenges. There are going to be challenges in our chaplains in the military. There's going to be challenges for businesses who and schools, you know. And so I, I think ultimately, it doesn't mean you don't recognize there aren't rightful challenges, right? The culture is shifting and the election of Joe Biden and really the Senate and the House all being uh, shifted. I, I think you're going to see some some challenges. The, the, the question is, is, is this another you know, 10 years us talking about siege and the culture war. 
Um, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going out there having the culture war. The culture war is coming to us, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so the question is, how are we going to address it? And I think ultimately addressing it as in fear and posting, we got to fight them and we're going to do this. I think ultimately there are things, you know, when I talk about engaging culture, I didn't write this in the book, the, the lead illustrations from the book, but in one of the things I've talked about elsewhere is there are three kinds of people who sort of have a cultural assignment. Um, I'm a missiologist. I teach people to engage culture. And that's mostly what you and our churches do. Uh, And then there are people who are culture creators. Andy Crouch wrote about that in his book. Um, Thank God for people who are creating culture and help us think fresh new ways. And then there are culture defenders. People are actually in the culture who are defending for religious liberty and more. And I think all three of them matter. My primarily passion, primary passion is culture engagement. And you can't war at a people and reach a people at the same time. You can't hate a people and reach a people at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so I want to teach churches to recognize that, yeah, there is, I mean, the culture is shifting around us and there are going to be some ramifications. And yet we have opportunity to preach the gospel. Nobody's stopping that. Nobody's, you know, moving us away. You might end up on the front page of the local newspaper because of what you taught on sexual ethics and someone watched and listened to your recordings, but that's okay. Keep showing and sharing the love of Jesus and recognize that the world's shifting, but we're not done. We're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep sharing the gospel. We're going to make ultimately that difference. So we have this significant opportunity. That which looks the darkest to us many times has the greatest opportunity for us. So what should that look like for Christians? How should we I want to say reconstruct ourselves. How can we more um, correctly uh, align ourselves uh, with what the word tells us to do and to be? Yeah. What should that look like? I think that's a good way to put it. I think ultimately this comes down, you know, you might find interesting. I think I have, hold on a second. I got a copy of the book here. So um, you, well, there you it can't is. see it, but I'm holding a copy. And yeah, you yeah. can see it because we're on Zoom. That's but, you right. know, it's it surprises people when they go through the book that um, that the the solutions literally date back thousands of years. Uh, the solutions to, um, you know, to in the space are things like I call it the outrageous alternatives to outrage, a worldview shaped by the gospel. And that, that's just central to it. Right being kingdom ambassadors in a foreign land. And what might surprise people is that ultimately I talk about um, spiritual formation. You know, I, I think you, you want to you change the world. You want to make a difference in the world. Be a well-grown Christian. Be, uh, be someone who's been changed by the power of the gospel, who's showing and sharing the love of Jesus, and make that your passion. And I think ultimately James Davidson Hunter wrote a book. You know, some of the, some of the guys in our... Uh, and they program uh, have read this. This is one of our required textbooks. Uh, he wrote uh, a book called "To Change the World," um, and and in it he he basically said, I think rightfully so, that uh, that at the end of the day, you want to change the world, um, you know, be faithfully present with your neighbor. Um, you know, that's the key: is that faithful presence with your neighbor. And so, I think ultimately. Um, that's what most people need to do. So, so here's what I would say. You know, there was a, in the book, I cite a, uh, um, a Saturday Night Live skit. Now, now, you know, not recommend everyone watch Saturday Night Live, but it's pretty funny. It's called Thank You, Scott. And it's basically about Scott who posts something on social media, uh, making a point about something. And it's, I think you, Scott, you changed the world. You made the difference. You turned the, you, your social media post is the one that that convinced everybody of this issue. And And I would just say that, that's a bucket of unhelpfulness. And I would just say maybe a little less posting our opinions on social media. I'm not against people posting their opinions. A little less posting our opinions on social media, a little more engaging our neighbors and community. And boy, 2021, I'd like to actually, we're still in 2020. This is like the 
you know, we're in the 13th, 14th, 15th months of 2020. I'm ready to be done with 2020, but just as extended into 2021 with all the drama and problems. But I would say that the best thing you can do is you and your church to be an ambassador for the kingdom in your community and make a gospel difference. So we are ambassadors. At the same time, we are still countercultural. Yeah, no question. Yeah, no question. I think I think it's the phrase I like to use is biblically faithful, culturally relevant, counterculture community for the kingdom of God. So biblical fidelity we lead with, right? Biblically faithful, culturally relevant. Now, again, some people might want to say culturally appropriate, whatever it may be, because uh, biblically faithful precedes that. So don't think that means more than I'm saying. But then counterculture community, right? So we're biblically faithful, culturally relevant, counterculture community for the kingdom of God. And I think when we're those things, I think that changes everything. I mean, I think that shapes who we are and how ultimately we we grow and how ultimately uh, we follow Jesus and and more. So I'm I'm very much that guy. I want us to be culturally relevant. Uh, I mean, biblically faithful, culturally relevant, counterculture community for the kingdom of God. Do we perhaps also need to rediscover the power of humility? Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not we're not known for that. And I would say too, you know, one of the things we saw. Um, there's a lot of triumphalism. There's a lot of, you know, we're going to be the mm-hmm. ones who do this. And and I would just be very careful that ultimately that's not what Jesus sounded like. And politics is is just draws that out in people, just draws that it out does. in people. It does. Um, and I, I would say the, um, I, I would say at the end of the day that too many people have been seduced by ways to accomplish what they thought was the Lord's will in ways that were ungodly and inappropriate. And that's not the kind of people that we want to be. And that's not the people we should be. And I think that makes a difference. Well, you've hit something very strong on that, Ed. And and the place of grace. We're to be people of grace in in all of our interactions with people. Well, this is powerful. I want to shift gears just a bit. I want to talk to you uh, personally about uh, Ed Stetzer. People get to know you a little bit better. Tell us about uh, when did you come to know the Lord as your Savior? Yeah, I came to know Christ in, uh, my my mom was a relatively new believer. My sister heard the gospel, and she was a relatively new believer. And then my mom was just in a real tough spot in her life. And she's a hero for the things she's walked through. Um, and so and she wrote your resume, believer. too. So, you know. But uh, yeah, that's right. She wrote my resume, too. That's right. Um, and so, so came to Christ in the uh, charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church. And, uh, and became a, you know, really just, it was interesting. I never... I never like not, I mean, I was like all in. I mean, I never like got un-in. And, you know, it was, you know, I get get that people do, and I'm not not saying I never backslid or never sinned, but I never went through a season that I wasn't like, this is, this is everything for me. And I always, it was always strange to me for my high school peers. I'm like, why are you not like all in? Um, And uh, so, so for me, uh, and partly it was, you know, it was was right on, um, this would, this would be kind of the, I don't know. I would say Jesus people movement. It's early eighties and I'm just being discipled. But you know, if you were, if you were a new believer in the charismatic movement in the, you know, of course you're, you know, Roman Bible is kind of a traditional Pentecostal denomination, but you still felt some of that in the late seventies, early eighties. Sure, of course. Yeah. Um, and that was just formative uh, for, for me. And uh, actually I was, it was an Episcopal church and the Episcopal church, you know, was theologically moving away from evangelicalism. I mean, I guess I would, this was an evangelical Episcopal church, but the whole movement was moving a different direction. And so it didn't ultimately stay there. Um, but it'd be funny. I mean, you would know, like, you know, my high school Bible study teacher's uh, name was Benny Hinn. So, you know, this was back in the day. Um, really? <laughs> and when, before Benny Hinn was Benny Hinn in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, he was a of God. I was at Calvary Assembly of God uh, in yeah. Park, Florida uh, oh, every, yes. every week. 
Sunday, really? Sunday at Mike Charismatic Episcopal Church, Tuesday night at Rock House at Calvary Assembly, probably at some of its peak. You'd know the name, Mark, Rut- sure. Mark Rutland and others. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, but yeah, it was a fascinating, fascinating uh, time and just Lord shaped it in us. I mean, we were, I, I would say we were swept up in that revival and thank God for mm-hmm. what he did in my life during it. Amen. I rejoice over what he did in your life and is doing in your life now. You know, we call this podcast Better Roads because Better Roads. we like to ask people about the roads they've chosen. You know, we all can look back in our lives and say there were some roads that perhaps were not the best and we're thankful for the grace of Jesus and covering those. And there are some roads that seems like they're almost assigned to us by God. But then there are those roads that are discretionary, the ones that we choose. And when we look back on them in retrospect, we say, you know, those are a couple of the best decisions I've ever made in my life in terms of who I am today and how I'm functioning today. As you look back over your life, is anything that stands out for you, some key pivotal decisions that you would say, those were better roads? Those were the better roads. I think so. So, um, and that's, I mean, that's a great, first of all, let me just say that I love the fact that you're calling this better roads because pretty much we define that as the state of Illinois. We need better (laughs) roads, but. um, I've been there. Uh -uh. You know what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, I think for me, um, you know, there were certain roads that, um, that I took, for example, one of my, you know, I, I came to Christ. I, eventually, uh, you know, ended up in a different denominational tradition and went through with the college I went to. And from that college, there was a sense that people now said, you know, while I was in college, there was a, I I had a scholarship to college and medical school through the army. And, uh, and then the army, uh, dropped my, I, I had a physical problem in my, in my eye due to some scar tissue and I was no longer eligible. So I actually have a little flyer saying that, I got a scholarship to college and medical school, but it didn't really matter when you got this this eye issue. So I was out of the army, um, you know, out of the out of the scholarship, and that caused a redirection. And so we began to pray. Don and I began to pray, and the thing that really spoke to us is I, you know, I began to say, Don, I think maybe we need to we need to go plant a church, and maybe I need to be a pastor. And she said to me, Now we've been dating since we were 16 years of age, so now we're 20. Um, we, we, we just got married in, in college between our junior and senior year. She graduated as a Stetzer and she, she said to me, Oh, I always knew God wanted you to be a pastor. I'm like, well, well, what, what, maybe you should have filled me in on this. Um, cause I, you know, John's judgment is consistently proven correct. So, so then at this point there was, there's kind of a path in my denominational tradition to pastoral success. And that is that you go either become a staff member of a larger church and then move up to the senior pastorate or that you um, or that you would go pastor a smaller church somewhere and then eventually move up to a bigger church. And, you know, I just found that pathway not for me. And, and it was interesting because, you know, I think one of the things that when the denomination got disrupted, one of the parts that was disrupted is that people who said, well, I paid my dues. I should be the the president of this or the leader of that. And it's like, well, the, the system got disrupted, but it was sort of this pathway to pastoral career. And I didn't believe that that's what the Lord would want us to do. And I'm not like, I, I don't think it's a healthy thing to choose that path, but I think people who ended up going on that path, I don't, I'm not mad at them or whatever, but that was, so we, we began to pray and um, we heard that the inner city uh, that Buffalo, New York was the fastest shrinking city in America it was uh, it was in real it was in real trouble, and we felt called of God to go to a hard place, and so we went and moved into the inner city of Buffalo, New York, 
my denomination turned me down to be a church planter uh, to fund me through the denominational system. So I, I still stayed connected and I they had a voluntary like a, a connection you could have. And I did that. I raised my own funds, not enough to work full time. I got a job working as an insulation contractor. Um, and I blew insulation during the days, ran a crew um, in insulation. You know, I have, an, I have an undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry because remember, I was going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And what we decided to do was take a different road. The road we wanted to take was not the road for the obvious career path, but to just follow whatever we thought the Lord would want us to do. And so blowing insulation, we were there for five or six years and, you know, we planted a church and from there, someone invited us to plant another church down the road in Erie, Pennsylvania. But I would say that, um, that taking the road, I guess it's a road less traveled, um, but taking that road was a significant shift because I, I guess I would have become this sort of, you know, county seat preacher and then this you know Mm -hmm. just moved up the career ladder and i didn't Mm -hmm. want to i didn't i didn't that seemed that seemed like and i got that that was it i got that people wanted to do that wasn't again i wasn't mad at them uh but that's just not what god's called us to do so our path our road went through buffalo new york and then planting multiple churches in erie pennsylvania and then a weird phone call from rick warren about going to teach at a seminary and you know the rest is kind of a weird uh, a weird story but i would say for us and I, so the lesson, you didn't ask me to give a lesson, I'm going to give a lesson anyway. No, that's fine. Uh, but the lesson for me is, is that, you know, let the Lord worry about your future career. Um, let your career vocation. Now, Donna would tell me that about 26 or 27, I started talking about things I had learned there and wanting to teach others. And, and I went to, I went on a retreat once with a guy when I was 29, he said, uh, I just moved to a uh, different role. And he said that what I talked about was starting a center like what Fuller Seminary was in the late 80s and early 90s. Not, you know, Fuller's not that anymore. Theologically, it's moved and um, methodologically, it's moved. But it was the place for discussion and dialogue. So I don't want you to hear that I, I wasn't thinking about the future. Uh, I wanted to do probably what I'm doing now when I was 27 years old and you know, probably because of Elmer Town's influence on my life. And uh, and so, but what I would say is, um, don't go into ministry to follow a career path, follow the Lord and let him take care of the path he has for you ultimately. And we'll go to more hard places and we'll see more people reached in the long run. Powerful. Follow the Lord, trust him all the way. Thanks Amen. Ed for sharing us, uh, sharing with us your journey. I'm sure that will be an encouragement to a number of people. And again, that name of that book is a Christians in the age of outrage, how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. I invite you to join, to join us next time on better roads. Thanks Ed. Have a great day. Thank you. You have been listening to better roads with Randall Bach, president of open Bible churches. Join us next time as we explore how God is part of another person's journey.